Hey, welcome back to I Loved This Conversation. My name is Alex Salzberg. I'm recording this intro um, sitting by the Charles River near Boston, which I thought would be a quiet place, but there's like people working on stuff nearby. So you might hear hammering and drills. There's wind and frogs and airplanes. So that's our ambient noise for the intro. But I'm so excited, so excited, a little nervous, but so excited to bring you this conversation with Molly Cutler. Molly's a nutritionist and health coach uh, who does so many other things, podcasting, modeling. We're going to talk about that stuff. This was the first episode I didn't record in Cambridge. I recorded it back in May in Tel Aviv, where I've been spending about 50% of my time for the last year, which is a really new thing in my life. My fiance lived in Tel Aviv when I met her, so we've been splitting our time. It's really, really new, um, and it's really exciting. And um, I'm really lucky and privileged to be able to do so. I'm lucky that my life and creative life is set up in a way that most of my income is from remote animation work for clients. So I'm able to do that from different places. Uh, And I also am grateful to myself for working hard to create a life with that kind of flexibility. This time in my life is definitely not over. We're going to be spending more time going back and forth, but I have been reflecting on it a lot lately because it was really 50% of my last year, I've kind of been thinking about a lot of the things that I was really surprised by. A few of those in no particular order. Um, I was surprised by the reactions and how they differed depending on where you were. When we told people in Tel Aviv, they always reacted just sort of like, whoa, you're living the dream. That's amazing. And when we told people uh, on this end in the United States, the reaction was always, well, that's cool, but what's the plan? Where are you going to live? Where are you going to live after this? And I I don't think either reaction is wrong. I think it's just there's some kind of cultural difference there about like thinking about the present uh, and the future, which are both important. Uh, Another big surprise was uh, I just really noticed how much of a New Englander I am. I, I think I noticed this when I spent time in LA as well, but I have that New England thing where I have a really hard time sitting at my computer and working if it's nice out. And it can be really challenging um, when every day is nice out, which is not something to complain about at all. But Tel Aviv especially, even though when I got more settled, it still hasn't quite lost that feeling that I'm on vacation a little bit and I just want to go out and explore and have a little harder time sitting down and animating. On the flip side, I was really surprised by how much I liked the time difference. Um, I thought it would be really, really challenging with work, but it's actually really nice to wake up and have about seven hours before any of my clients uh, from the United States email me. And my relationship with email is not super urgent, but there's still something really cozy almost about having all day to draw and get stuff done before anyone puts a new task or a new question on your plate. Um, it kind of has the same feeling of like when you pull an all-nighter, except with more energy because I, I'm awake. A fourth thing I was really surprised about was just how directly being in a new place and a new location inspired my creative work. I usually am used to things in my life, experiences I have kind of being digested over months or years and then eventually ending up in some story or uh, visual. But in this case, uh, Tel Aviv's architecture and art scene and landscape and, and culture all kind of made their way into projects I'm working on right now, visually and story-wise, which was really, really cool having that 
different perspective. Molly, our guest, uh, is from the U.S. as well and moved to Tel Aviv years ago, which we'll of course talk about. And what I love about every conversation that I've been lucky enough to have with Molly, who's my new Tel Aviv friend, um, is how much space that Molly creates in a conversation. Uh, This conversation is no exception. We'll talk in great detail about Molly's journey from moving to a new country, becoming more open about her disability and more publicly visible with that disability online um, and her inner journey with all of that. And yet somehow there was also still so much space for me to open up about my journey with body image and for us to compare our feelings and thoughts about representation. So I'm incredibly grateful to Molly for creating that space for me to share that part of me and for me to then share that conversation with you so you can get to know Molly, who I think you'll be really excited to get to know, but also get to know me better as well. We recorded this on like a really lovely morning at Molly's apartment. Uh, You may hear some ambient bird sounds, although probably not as much as here because we were inside. And there's a brief guest appearance from an air raid siren, but it's just a test. So don't worry, we'll call it out. Um, And then one last thing I want to note going into this, when we get to the topic of... um, representation in the online wellness and body positivity world. We happen to talk about it in a really binary way, just talking about men and women uh, from sort of our standpoints. Um, That's just where the conversation went based on our experiences. I'm well aware that there are so many other people who don't fit into a binary that should really be a part of this representation conversation too. And I'm really excited to have more conversations about this with more guests in the future. Um, so that that's all up front. Uh, grab a coffee and a blueberry muffin. That will make sense in a few minutes. And let's meet our guest and hear her connection to me. My name is Molly Cutler, and I am friends with Alex via his amazing, wonderful, beautiful fiance, who is one of my dearest friends here in Tel Aviv, Mia. All right. Yes. And we're recording in Tel Aviv. This is the the first episode not recorded in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Welcome, Molly. Uh, I'm going to open with a very big question, but I also have to answer this question sometime during our conversation. So don't worry. I love big questions. It's fair. Yeah. Um, All right. What is something you are going through in your creative life and or where your creative life overlaps with your entire life? So it could be a problem you're trying to solve, a decision you're trying to make, something you're just feeling like weird about or good about. Ooh, I like this question. Okay, so something that I'm going through in my creative life pertaining to my work, basically. So... I am a holistic nutritionist and health coach. I run my own practice where I help clients to improve their relationship to food and body. And I've been coaching for the last few years, one-on-one. I also host a podcast, which is a wellness podcast that I co-host with a dear friend of mine where we dive into all kinds of topics pertaining to self-discovery, self-development, Um, general well-being related to mental health and emotional health and physical health. And um, where I'm kind of really finding myself challenged is trying to figure out what is my next step in all these things I'm doing that I'm really passionate about and that I've worked really hard toward, but my next step in scaling, in Mm. stepping up bigger and trying to find the balance between what I think I should do 
in order to grow and sort right. of reach certain benchmarks that I'm really, you know, keen on reaching. And also staying really, really true to myself and what I'm best at and like what's authentic to me. When you talk about like scaling or these benchmarks, um, do you mean in like a business sense, like just sort of, um, for lack of a better word, just making more money from your business or more like making more impact, having more of an audience? It's definitely a mix. And I think where I find myself is like, on the one hand, I really want to, when I think of scaling, I want to reach more people. I want to help more people. I want more people to hear my message, <laughs> <laughs> my important message of, of moving away from dieting and right. neutralizing this disordered and negative relationship that we have with food and body. And on the other hand, also recognizing that I am at a certain point in my life, I want to live a certain lifestyle in the future. And yeah. And, and I think that's really what that balance is, is, okay, how do I combine the two? But that feels really true to me because I can look all the time and I see it constantly on social media, you know, on Instagram, looking what other coaches are doing. Mm -hmm. They're creating big group programs. They're, you know, they're pushing ads. They're really salesy. They're doing yeah. all these things that don't feel like me. They don't right. feel right to me. Like my strength is in my one-on-one -on -one intimacy with my clients and I love it so much. Yet on the other hand, I don't know, you know, what do I need to kind of reach more people? And I do have the podcast, which is awesome. And I think reaching more yeah. people, you know, but uh, so I guess it's both. That's interesting. It kind of reminds me of, so I, I have a friend who's like a, so a really incredible software engineer at a big um you know, tech company. And he talked about when we were catching up a year or two ago, he was talking about how, you know, he worked his way through being a software engineer and then got promoted to some sort of manager or team lead because that was the next step of his nine to five day job as a software engineer. And then a, a couple of years later, he decided he didn't, he just, he wanted to be a software engineer, he wanted a different path up. So it's not that he didn't want to make more money or have more responsibility or have more impact on the company. And so what you're describing sounds almost like the um, independent entrepreneur version of that, where you're looking at your industry, for lack of a better word, or what other, other folks in your career path do. And you're saying like, I also want to grow, but the, the steps to grow are not necessarily this right for my life. So what do I do? Totally. Wow. I love that story. <laughs> right. That's kind of, that's sort of how I feel like as a coach, you know, that I want to keep that, want to keep some semblance of what I'm <laughs> doing, but, but how do I kind of step it up? Yeah. I relate so hard to this too. I mean, it's like, we want, you, you always want momentum. I always want to be building towards something. I want to be, like you said, like growing my impact, you know, working toward a certain a lifestyle that I want um, as I get older. And like, I don't necessarily want to do that by just like taking what I do and just like stretching it. it this is an audio medium, but I'm like stretching fabric or something with my hands <laughs> invisibly. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily want to do that because that, you know what, going with that metaphor, that fabric is me. <laughs> I don't want to just stretch myself out. Right. Right. Like you don't want to become watered down. Right. And so how do you, how do you do that? How do you avoid doing that? 
Um, I'm learning how to avoid doing that. I think not enough artists and creative people and entrepreneurs do this. You have to start with lifestyle and then like work backwards to how you want to operate. I don't think it's gonna work if you start, if the lifestyle thing is superficial. Like, I don't like the sort of hustle bro, like, well, I want a nice car, so I'm gonna work toward that. Because then it's just, that's just boiling down to money. Mm -hmm. But if you start from more, I think more um, deeper priorities, like flexibility or um, right now I'm really working to have less urgency in my life, things like that. Then I think you can scale more intentionally, I guess. Yeah. And, and by scale more intentionally, you mean choose the projects that feel really authentic right. to you. Right. Yeah. And choose the way to expand that actually fits how you envision your life. I think <clears throat> something that I can envision for myself is maybe keeping that element of things really sacred, like mm. my one-on-one -on -one coaching, keeping yeah. it sacred, but finding being open to trying other avenues. Like for example, how I introduced this podcast, the well wishes podcast, by the way, that's my podcast. Love in it. Case anyone wants to listen. Love the up top plug. <laughs> I, I really love what you said about like keeping the thing that you like doing sacred. Cause I think that is what's so easy to get lost. The times that I go too far with the like expanding or overextending myself or stre stretching myself thin, the, thing that falls by the wayside is drawing. Mm. And I don't know, that's gonna stick with me. I'm gonna keep drawing sacred. I'm curious, I feel like a lot of people in the um, coaching, health, nutrition, wellness space seem to overlap with this idea of being an influencer. I'm curious, what is your relationship to the word influencer? Like when I say it, how do you feel? It's... You know, all right, I'm going to be totally honest. There was a period where I kind of wanted to be an influencer. Oh, yeah. You are not alone. <laughs> Tell me more about that feeling. I did. I kind of had this vision. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it could still happen in just sort of an organic way on my path. I don't know. But I had this vision that I, I really wanted to be known on social mm -hmm. media, both for, for the work that I'm doing in, in the space that I mentioned, also because I have a disability and I speak about disability awareness and I'm also a model. I do like modeling as a disabled woman and right. I like kind of had this whole vision that I would just be this like interesting <laughs> influencer who's really non-conventional in both spaces and that right. like, would be really inspirational to people. And it's not that I can't be that or that I won't necessarily grow into that in, in, in just organic ways yeah. and that I'm becoming that hopefully. But yeah, I think I wanted to be big kind yeah. of. And then I sort of, <laughs> you know, I think I kind of came down to earth and realized, you know what? Like, I, I'm I'm a great coach. Like I right. want to be a coach. Like I need to focus on my craft, you yeah. know, as opposed to being known. And, and that may eventually lead to a bigger impact and more of an audience. Something I realized as well is that being an influencer, you can be as niche and as unique. There it is. This is in Tel Aviv. They're testing. Uh, Alex, open the windows. Open. The oh. <laughs> Real They're testing. Life. This is the air raid siren, right? Yeah. Okay. 
So if I hear this and don't expect it, I hide, right? Or I go in the you, stairwell. You would run into a stairwell or into the basement of a building. Okay. Or if you have a bomb shelter in your apartment, that's the preferred thing, which Mia does. Kind of. Which is they didn't, fi- they didn't finish it, which is not great. <laughs> um, all right. Well, here, I'm going to close the door. We'll just continue through it. Um, sure. So I think what I'm saying is influencer is actually itself a specific craft and career path because you could be a Martian who does ballet and like, you know, um, and, and like a really, like a really hot Martian who does ballet. And you think like all that Martian has to do is just like (laughs) post a picture on Instagram and they're viral and they're whatever. But actually like, no, that Martian still is going to have to commit kind of to what you were talking about before, commit time and energy to like posting all the time and expanding. And it has to have like a business plan. You can go viral without a business plan, but like to become an influencer is an actual, and I see this as a compliment to influencers, whether we like their content or Mm -hmm. like what they've wrought on this world (laughs) or not. Mm -hmm. There's like, uh, it is a thing. So I think um, what you're saying really resonated with me is that like, it's almost hard to go that route when you want to keep the other stuff sacred, when you're like, wait, but no, I'm a good coach. I'm a good artist. I'm a good animator, whatever it is. Then you, you can't always do that. And then also like just aim to be an influencer, you know? Totally. Um, Okay. I have two things to say. Yeah. One, the fact that you presented a visual of, a Martian who does ballet is just so uh, indicative. Sorry, just, of, I don't want to interrupt, but a hot Martian who does ballet. A super sexy Martian. It's just so indicative of the fact that you are an artist. Like, <laughs> I feel like you recently did an animation of a Martian that was super hot. Like, <laughs> I just would never think to put those two things together, but I adore it. I, Love. I, it's You know, I didn't put this together, but I actually have been working on something where there's a Martian. I wouldn't describe him as hot, but he's like, um, he's like, he's attractive to the people around him. <laughs> he's charming. <laughs> he's charming. Got it. He's got that something, something. Yeah, that joie de vivre <laughs> yeah. that some Martians have and some don't. And you know what? I said it. Um, Okay, well, that's the first most important (laughs) thing I had to hit on. The second is, you're absolutely right. It's true. Like, influencers serve a purpose. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I think at this point, I'm not going to lie, I find them pretty annoying. (laughs) Especially, not always, you know, but especially in my field, in Mm -hmm. this kind of health and wellness field, there's, it's just so predictable yeah and it just feels like it's a certain type of person that looks a certain way right and that dresses a certain way and that has a certain type of body and mm-hmm. and I you know and maybe that's not always the case and I can totally acknowledge that but I do think that there's work that needs to be done in the world of influencers that I think it's very very looks focused and right of course depends on the field you know, but especially in health, wellness, nutrition, it's it's quite, you know, optics focused. Yeah. You were talking about your goals in the past to like get into that, which involved modeling and, and talking about your disability and all of that stuff. Did you feel, was some of that like um, a desire to represent a different kind of, you know, person in that space? 
or a different kind of body? Yeah. I mean, my, my vision and I still have this vision, but when, like when I was thinking, Oh, I'd love to be an influencer and kind of (laughs) thinking about what I would show or what, what I would be doing. The, the real vision was that I wanted to, um, I really wanted to be representative of, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people who don't see themselves represented, Yeah, you know, on social media, who don't see themselves represented as conventionally beautiful, who don't see themselves represented as even coaches. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, like most coaches, again, I'm generalizing, but most health coaches like myself and nutritionists, you know, especially on social media, they, they look a certain way and they, you know, are typically not disabled mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. don't represent, you know, disabled people don't represent the picture of health. That's right. not what people think right. of when they think of disabled. They think of ill and weak and mm. not well and unattractive. And I think it was really important for me, and it still is, to show, not 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 just for myself, more for others, to show that is so wrong. Right. It is so ridiculous. Like, you know what I mean? And, and to just normalize it. Yeah. And so that continues to be a goal of mine, you know, in the things I speak about. So I seek out a lot of like body positivity and or body neutrality and or other terms. I'm still learning um, mm-hmm. content. And um, I'm seeking that from my vantage point as um, like someone who has a lot of privilege and that I'm a white male, um, abled, I don't know if that, is that the right term? Able-bodied. Able-bodied. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but then the vantage point I'm seeking that kind of from is that I'm, you know, a fat person. I'm using that in the reclaimed positive sense, not Mm -hmm. like, I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. Um, and I, I am recovering from an eating disorder. Like you said, most of that content, I'll just say it is like, um, conventionally attractive white, um, Able, able-bodied women. Um, and on the one hand, I'm getting a lot of value from that and that the ideas they're talking about are helpful to me. And I've learned a lot from that. On the other hand, there's a part of me that's on a bad day kind of being like, okay, but like, you're still like just one standard deviation off from like a Victoria's Secret model, you know? Mm. Like, I, yeah. I want to like, again, disclaimer that that's not me saying that we shouldn't let all types of bodies into this conversation, but I'm wondering if that is taking up too much space or I don't know. So I'm torn. So I'm curious if anything I said, I know that's like a word sound resonates with you. Because on the one hand, there's so much value in that conversation being brought to the forefront, but then I, and I'm still very privileged, I feel still unrepresented there, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a question for you. Sure. Actually. <clears throat> What would make you feel more represented? What do you want to see? Um, that's a good question. I guess people who not only look like me, but also, yeah, I guess I want to see it from a male perspective, but with less masculinity involved, if that makes sense. I think so much of male conversation online about health and wellness is steeped in masculinity. Masculinity is not always bad, but it's steeped in this idea of like strength and, you know, working out. And then on the flip side, there's also this idea that because men are 
privileged in so many ways that that means we're not, that we're almost like immune to people talking about our bodies. Mm. Um, Just such a common life experience for me is somebody just like talking over a stranger or, or people or friends or family, just like talking about my, my belly or my weight or my size just without even thinking about it. It's it's not, it's almost worse that they're not trying to insult me. <laughs> so I guess what I'm coming around to to answer your question is, it's not that I'm looking for an entirely different category of representation, it's that there's some specifically unique ways that men experience body shame that is different than how women experience it. I think ultimately if we were to compare and contrast, it's easier, but that doesn't take away from the specific challenges. Absolutely. Wow, that's so beautifully put. I think, well, one thing that I know very well is that men are so unrepresented in body positivity. Mm-hmm. Where are the men? Yeah. Of all different shapes and sizes, yeah. you know, and we don't see it. And then I think what you're describing about the experience of body shaming for women and men and how it's a lot more delicate for women. It's so mm-hmm. interesting because it's so rooted in twistedness. It's like, why is that? Because looks have always been more, more of an emphasis for women. Right. Like, that women have often, their worth is more connected to looks for so long in history, you yeah. know, even all the way until today. So ironically, it's weird because it. I think now that we're dealing with this whole focus on improving body image and body positivity. It's like, there's this flip where, you know, now we're really careful about what we say with women because it's always been so heavy on looks. Yeah. But with men, I think now there's just this complete gap between, right? right? It's like how like people don't even try so yeah. like they're not even trying to insult right. you or they're not even trying to be anything there. It just seems okay to comment on like, wow, what, you know, you yeah. gain weight or your belly or beer belly. Like right. as if that's appropriate because someone is male. Yeah. And it's so, it's so like automatic to some people. And, and again, I'm coming at this from just like theorizing. I'm not an expert on these things. I've read some articles, but uh, you know. I think it's like, I think so much of it actually has to do with like masculinity Mm -hmm. or I guess toxic masculinity because it's two sides of the same coin. I think so much of the, the way that women are like, I guess, systemically, you know, um, marginalized in terms of like their bodies has to do with like trying not to be masculine, right? A lot of our standards of beauty are about not being masculine, whether it's being thin, hairless, you know, whatever, all these Mm-hmm. These unfair standards of beauty. And then for men, it's like the flip side is like being masculine, which means like not being soft, being strong, um, having um, self-control is a very masculine thing. And people associate larger bodies with having less control around food, mm-hmm. which then, of course, for me personally, gets very wrapped up in disordered eating, which is a whole, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also just a very, very destructive you know, and stigmatized, obviously, way of thinking that just people in larger bodies are out of control Mm -hmm. around food. Yeah. But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. And it's it's such a common connection people make. And it happened. Okay. So like to tell you, and this is not something that 
these are things that on a good day, like I just sort of clock and then like can move on from. But this is um, even this this morning I bought uh, I was at a coffee shop getting coffee and then I wanted to eat a blueberry muffin for breakfast. But then I also wanted to bring you a blueberry muffin. Thank you for and that. <laughs> my first gut instinct, just based on my life, culture, experiences, was a slight, and, and I moved on quickly because of where I'm at with this stuff, but a slight, and this is just, a, I think, a really good encapsulation of what it feels like sometimes. I had this first thought of, like, they're going to think I want two blueberry muffins because I'm a fat guy who needs to eat two blueberry muffins for breakfast, which, A, two blueberry muffins sounds great. <laughs> like, I actually could eat yeah, another blueberry muffin right now. It wasn't even that big. But also, it's also not very filling right. for anybody. But also, like, it's none of their business. And also, like, they probably aren't thinking that. But mm. if maybe they are. But it's so interesting that, like, that's my fear. This feeling that because of what my body looks like, the assumption is that I'm going to eat. And I don't know how much of that is internal, how much of that is external. But that's that's a result of all that stuff. And maybe that's a good segue for the thing I one thing I'm going through in my creative life, and this is a very long-term, low-grade thing, so it's not like this is like a recent thing. I want to make art that talks about all this stuff. I want to represent all this stuff we're talking about, the blueberry muffin moment. Like, I want to put that in art. And I've been trying to find a way to do it for years, years and years and years. And the, the, the way to do it hasn't hit me yet. And I just keep waffling on it. And I don't know why. I don't know if I'm just not ready. I'm clear, like I'm not afraid to talk about it in person. I'm very open about it. I'm, I don't think maybe there'll be a little vulnerability editing this podcast, but I don't think I'm going to have a hard time like pushing post on it. So maybe to turn that back on you, what was the first time that you were more authentic and represented yourself like? Like, what did it feel like the first time, say, you were more visible with your disability with the modeling or the first time you wrote about um, just anything relating to your body or your mental health around your body? Well, before I jump into that, I just have to say, you know, thank you so much for sharing (laughs) your vulnerability and just hearing you share some of these things from a male perspective. Like I have to say, I work almost entirely with with women. Mm -hmm at this point on relationship to food. And it really is opening my eyes, like just hearing some of this nuance, like from your perspective, it's not, it's not exactly the same, you know, as what I've heard from, from women in larger bodies Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, and I just want to just really validate that it's really, (laughs) it's really frustrating and difficult to, um, to even have to have thoughts like that. And, and maybe some, and yes, some of it is your own work and yeah. some of it is very, very, very steeped in our society's stigma yeah. of, of larger bodies. Yeah. And, you know, so, well, but, you know. Thank you. And I want to flip that and just say, I'm also, I know I was like a little bit negative about the sort of body image wellness space before. I'm actually very grateful for all of the work and content that women are creating around this because I need, I need that. And I've learned a lot from that. So like, I, there's a big part of me that's like, thank God all these women are talking about body image. 
I wish there were more men, but you know, I'm getting so much value out of in pages, including your Instagram, you know, about these, these issues. So. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And I'm so glad that, you know, that you feel that there are people that can inspire you and, and give you some good food for thought in this, <laughs> in this area in yeah. your life. Um, so in terms of my own experience of when I kind of came out more, mm-hmm. sort of being more visible, I remember <clears throat> about four years ago was the first time that I ever showed a picture of myself exposing my legs mm. and I wear braces on my legs which I've worn since childhood. And um, growing up, I used to hide them in any way I could. I used to wear, I I have to wear socks under them. And then I used to wear a pair of socks over Mm. just to cover and always wore long pants and just to cover the tiny couple inches that would show my ankle when I was sitting and, you know, getting to this place when I was like 28 years old of finally, after a lot of self-work, after, you know, a lot, going through a lot, but getting to this place and going and really, really feeling that I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Right, right. That I have nothing to hide. Like, there's nothing embarrassing about the fact that I am a disabled person and that I have a condition that causes me to need to wear these braces right right and posting that I remember posting that on Instagram a picture of myself and it was so liberating and I was so proud of myself and it felt like you know years 25 years Mm -hmm. 20 years maybe because when I was a kid I was you know not as um, self-conscious about it but probably 20 years of just hiding this. Right. Not that I could not that I can hide can hide my disability in any way. I have a very visibly different gait. I you can see my disability, but it was something about my legs and my braces. Right. Showing that. And it opened up. That was when I started really thinking about, huh, maybe I could be a representative yeah. of the disabled community and a representative of someone who lives a, a bright and awesome and adventurous and, and passionate life. Someone right. who's healthy and feels great and takes care of herself and has wonderful friendships and relationships. And, you know, and, and that was when the, the, I kind of the, the seed was planted. That's how I ended up eventually getting into the modeling and getting signed by an agency and moving into the body image work in my mm-hmm. coaching and yeah. sort of it, it's all, so that, you know, led to that. That's you said, you said it was liberating. Was it liberating right away or did it kind of grow to be liberating as you saw a good reaction to it? Well, I, I remember knowing, feeling deep down that I would get a very good reception to mm-hmm. it. Yeah, You know, we had already kind of, you know, this was about four years ago. We'd already really moved into the, body positivity, inclusivity, inclusivity space, and sort of that, those being really important and Mm -hmm. focused on these days, especially in the U S and so I anticipated that, but I just remember posting that and just feeling, I just felt so 
I couldn't like so proud of myself about how far I'd come. It was so much wow. more than the picture. Yeah, it was yeah. so symbolic mm. of getting to the, you know, just moving along my journey, um, my path um, of, of more self-acceptance. And, yeah. you know, and, and there were a lot of things that led me to that point. It was just so empowering. And then when I started getting this, you know, I knew that even if I would get weird comments or, right. you know, it wasn't going to change the fact yeah. that I was so empowered by getting to that point. Because this has been a life journey for me, you know, dealing with this disability, growing up with it, seeing how it changes, evolves, um, and accepting it and grieving it and adapting to it. And so it's like, it's this living, breathing thing. Right. And, and, and so like the milestone wasn't the, you know, oh, getting an amazing reception to the photo, right? The milestone (laughs) was like, I can't believe I actually am at this point where I'm posting a photo and feel like that I got there. Wow. That, I love that. Like everything you just said, I want to live in those sentences. (laughs) So, um, I, I think like we all, most people have a sense that like the ultimate goal, right. Is to like live authentically. And, um, we, I think a lot of people dream of like someday I'm just going to like, behave how I want, not hide the thing that I'm ashamed of, but it's not so easy. And I think, I think one reason it's not so easy is that in order to do that, there are things we have to let go of. And you use the word grieve and mourn Mm -hmm. things that while maybe we're in the way of us living our more authentic life are actually comfortable and helping us while we're not living our most authentic life. So I'm curious if there's anything that comes to mind that you had to let go of. I believe fiercely in the importance of accepting things about yourself, about your life that are really, really, really difficult, that are Mm -hmm. hard to accept. What does that, and what does that mean? It means that if you're gonna accept parts of yourself that are really tough for you to accept, or for others to accept, Mm -hmm. or that the world, you know, doesn't like generally, you're gonna have to grieve. How did I get to that place of posting that picture and Mm. then eventually, you know, pitching myself to agencies, getting signed Mm. with an agency, like putting myself out there in a way I never could have imagined. I got there because I really faced the parts of it that make me really, really sad. Mm. I I believe that you have to go through, you Mm -hmm. have to go through the shit to kind of really come out the other side. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you, it's like, yeah, it, it sucks sometimes that I have this disability. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know, like sometimes it's shit, but on the other hand, you know, it also has largely made me who I am and informs how I see the world. And marrying those two things is mm-hmm. really important. I, yeah. I can't just look at the positive, like, right. oh, well, it's made me a more resilient person, though that's very true. But I also can't just look at the negative. And when you when you marry those two, that's how you're able to let it go. Mm. Wow. And to just be like, okay, it's here. 
it's it's a part of me. I live with it. It's 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 weaved. It's part of my essence. It's not all of who I am. It's part of who I am. It's an important part. It's I can acknowledge how it's made me the strong person that I am in many ways. And then I can also acknowledge how it's shit at times. And that is how it becomes a fact of life and more neutral. Yeah. To where I can just be like, okay, all right, cool. Now I'm going to become a model and a body (laughs) image coach. And I'm going to use all this fuel in a really real way and move forward. Does that make sense? That makes so much sense. I'm just, I'm sitting with that, that I really love that. I really love, I mean, something I'm so interested in is with everyone. I'm, this is like a big fascination of mine is like cultural narratives and how they do and don't apply to our lives. And I think something you mentioned is that you, your journey is like breaking away from these narratives because narratives around disability tend to either be like about like overcoming and it made me strong or like, you know, oh, it's so sad and tragic. And the, mm-hmm. and what you've just described is like, no, neither of those narratives, are, it, it all exists. You know? Totally. It's sad and I'm strong and a million other things. Totally. It's like, it's, Duality. Mm-hmm. It's the ability to hold multiple truths at once. Yeah. And yet hold them all and walk forward with them all and not trying to push ones down, not trying to dismiss, not trying to not see parts of it, seeing it all, holding it all, and then using it all. I think that's <laughs> being able to hold two truths at once is like the key to everything and not to generalize, but like the entire world and especially body image. Right. Cause it's, you know, it's not just a matter of waking up one day and being like, I decided my body's beautiful. <laughs> like it's not that easy. I don't think I'm ever going to love my really, really thin lower legs, honestly, Right. but I can respect them. Yeah. Like they, I have legs and like, they allow me having them still allows my upper legs to work. Right. Which right. work. Right. And the rest of my body to hold me up. And do I love them? Do I adore them? Do I think they're unbelievably beautiful? No. Right. And that's part of body image. It's like being okay, realizing like sometimes it's just about neutrality. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about like, I love every part of myself. Yeah. It's just not real. Having said that, I do think it's important to really acknowledge the parts of yourself that you really do love. Yes. And really lean into that. I I do have a lightning round, but I also feel like I would be remiss if we didn't at least, I I don't think we can go into great detail on it, but at least touch on the fact that you are not from uh, Tel Aviv. You're Mm -hmm. not from Israel, Uh, but you live here and work here. And I get the sense many of the people you work with are here. Many of your clients are here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, many of them. Not all. So I'm so curious. And I, you know what? We'll just have to do a sequel to get into like your whole journey to Tel Aviv. But if you can give us like the headlines of like how long ago you came here, maybe some of the top reasons that brought you here. Sure. Um, okay. Well, I came here 10 years ago. I was 22. And um, I grew up coming to visit Israel a lot, okay. kind of growing up, came with family, 
youth trips, school, all of that. And you're from Los Angeles? I'm from LA, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know why I unabbreviated it. Nobody tells <laughs> Los Angeles, California, United States. You're a Los Angelino. Oh, God. <laughs> so you, anyway, you so, grew up um, coming to um, Tel Aviv specifically or Israel in general? To Israel in general. and um, But I never, ever considered living here. It just never even crossed my mind. Um, and then I actually studied abroad in Israel um, in Beersheba mm-hmm. during college for... Um, six months. And that was kind of my first immersive experience amongst Israelis living with Israelis and kind of my Hebrew really improving. And I noticed during that time, I noticed myself blossoming in certain ways. And it was really eye opening to me. Like I noticed that I was a little bit more open about talking about certain things that I wasn't. I noticed that I was dating a lot more than I was in back in college in the mm-hmm. U.S. I noticed myself becoming a lot more open about talking about my disability. Mm-hmm. I was questioned a lot more about it. Oh, that's interesting. Which wasn't fun. Right. But, but it was most of the time it was respectful. Mm-hmm. Like it was by students and kind of right. people, And they were just curious. Right. And like, Americans never did that my entire life. Americans tiptoe. Americans totally tiptoe. Which comes from a good place, but. Yeah, it's like we're we're more polite, but oftentimes I think, you know, people are thinking things. They mm-hmm. just don't say it. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I was always open with my friends, you know, for sure. It wasn't right. like this was closed within my circles or anything, but I never got asked about it. I never... I was, I kind of like glided along. Like I, I feel that the progress that I made in the time that I made of like showing my legs, posting that photo, doing all these things that I've done and making leaps and bounds in my body image journey Mm -hmm. was highly accelerated by living here for me. Yeah. Now today I don't, that's not what keeps me here. Right. You know, now I kind of, I got it. Right. Yeah. It's like I got those benefits and now I, uh, you know, I, I live here because I built my life here and I love other things about it. And, and, and I do really love certain things culturally, of course, and I'm connected to here. But, um, but back then it was this blossoming that I was noticing. Yeah. And, and yeah, my, part of it might have been from, you know, being in a, in a different culture um, but I do think it was it was that like no sugarcoating, assertive mentality of Israelis. Right. And I became more like that. I became a lot more matter of fact. Like I yeah. stopped getting teary eyed when someone would ask me about mm. my disability and it became like, yeah, this is it. This is what I need. It was like things became a bit more, a little more. Um, I don't want to say I became more hardened because it's not about hardening, but it's more like, um, a little tougher. Yeah. And I think I needed that a little bit. Right. Um, so our lightning round, um, is three questions. First, what is something in your life that you learned the hard way that you're glad you learned the hard way? All right. Well, it's kind of personal, but the, the thing that comes to mind the most is uh, going through a very, very difficult breakup after a very, very long and serious relationship and learning, going through that transformation of 
kind of coming back to myself and realizing the parts of myself that I had compromised on and mm. um, learning about what I truly want and need in a partner and what I envision for my life. And even though that was a wonderful and amazing and transformational experience, like going through that breakup and transition was one of the hardest things I've ever gone through. And you already know that I've been through, you know, <laughs> some stuff yeah. in my life. Couple, and couple of things. Couple of things. Um, and I'm so grateful that I went through, that I had that relationship and that I went through like a serious heartbreak breakup type thing that, that changed me mm. completely. Okay. That's a great answer. And one, and one I share something I'm also glad I went through the, mm -hmm. learn the hard way. I mean, it's like a list of lessons about partnership and love and all that, yeah. but I'm glad I learned it the hard way uh, for the most part. But it's also hold two truths. Sometimes I'm not. Totally. Um, and then what is something you learn the hard way that you're happy if other people don't have to learn it the hard way and they can just learn it right now from you saying it? You will not always know exactly what, what you want to do with your life. And like, I guess I'm thinking of career, like, um, you cannot expect that you are going to stay in the same career forever or that you're going to just, once you figure out what it is that you love, that it's just going to happen quickly. It takes serious time and tweaking and failures and persistence to not only succeed and, and kind of you know, succeed from the sense of like succeed financially or succeed from this externally, what seems externally succeeding, but mm -hmm. more like succeed in terms of getting to the place that feels the most right to you. And I think like we, in this day and age, I sound like an oldie, but <laughs> you know, in no, my, right. when I was young, no, but <laughs> in this day and age, I think that people want, you know, really quick answers and they want like, yeah. uh, what do you call it? Instant gratification. I forgot the words. Yeah. And, um, and so I think, you know, my greatest lesson is just to realize that things take time. Mm -hmm. Every successful, you know, celebrity, artist, you know, professional you know, especially people who have more out of the box professions. Yeah. Like persistence, time, right. patience, like these things will develop. But, you know, you, you have to realize that it will take time. And I think right. that that's been such a huge lesson for me. All right. Last lightning round question. Yes. What is your favorite thing to do that has nothing to do with health, nutrition, coaching, modeling, every, everything you do creatively? Mm. Um, for, yeah. For work. Uh, my gosh, my favorite thing. Well, I guess the thing that comes up to the top of my head, I love cooking for friends and hosting. Ah, that's a great one. And it's something I don't do enough and I love it. It makes me so happy. And um, sparked a little 
little seed of seed reminding me that I, I need to, mm-hmm. to do that more often because yeah. every time I do, I just makes me so happy. That's a great one. I, sh- I share that joy. There's, there's something about feeding people. Um, and, and for me, I love the lead up. I want that whole day to be like about getting stuff ready, not just in the kitchen, but like, I want to like wake up, get a cup of coffee, go to the store, feel the vegetables. Like I'm in like a movie. I'm like you. I'm totally like you because that's part of the experience. It's the buildup. Right. It's like, it's, it's like, it's the experience of hosting. It's not just having the people over. Right. Like you get, yeah, like I, I totally do the same thing. Like on a Friday, if I'm going to host a Shabbat dinner or something and I, you know, I wake up and kind of have a nice morning and I go get my groceries and I turn the music on and uh-huh. I, I get started really early and I do things yep. really slowly, like spreading across the day. And, you know, it's, I'm the same it's way. part of the buildup. Um, all right. And last but not least, you've d- done this a few times, like a good former marketing person, but uh, how do people uh, follow you, get in touch with you, um, see your, your work and your stuff? Yes. So if you would like to follow me, get in touch, you can um, find me on Instagram. My handle is Molly R. Cutler with a C. Um, Also, my website is mollyrcutler.com. And I will absolutely love to hear from you, chat with you if you just want to say hi. And oh, and also um, the podcast that I co-host is called the well wishes podcast and you can find us over on Spotify, Apple podcasts, Amazon music and Google podcasts. All right. Well, thank you so much, Molly. This was great. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It was so much fun and I can't wait to hear it. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Molly for opening her home, to me and to all of us to hear this great conversation. I'm 80% excited that you heard that and 20% nervous because it was vulnerable, but thank you for listening. Um, If you like this podcast, of course, please rate and review and subscribe and all that stuff. Because it's a new podcast, like one good rating or review will make a huge difference. It will, I think, uh, help more people hear it. So that two minutes you take to just send us some nice words. Um, and also reach out on Instagram, reach out uh, to me by email. I'm always happy to hear what you're going through creatively. I'm really grateful for everyone who's been reaching out and sharing so far. And I'm also really glad everyone's been enjoying those little animation clips that I've been making. Uh, it's a little extra work I made for myself, but I've been really enjoying uh, just kind of fooling around with animation in a way that also gets people excited about the podcast. As always, thank you to my brother, Adam Salzberg, for mixing the audio and helping to get it to your ears. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another conversation that I loved. Bye. Bye.